We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. As Charles said, I, uh, I oversee the young adults ministry here at Denton Bible Church. And uh, just by way of disclaimer to all the young adults who uh, are part of that ministry, you've already heard this sermon before. So, um, But some of you might not know what young adults is. And so I, uh, I'm what you call a uh, providential opportunist. And what that means is I now take... Uh, this time to be divinely appointed by God to give a shameless plug for the ministry that I oversee. So if you are uh, in your 20s and early 30s, uh, predominantly in your single stage of life, uh, I want to invite you to come to Young Adults. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in the fellowship hall right across from the sanctuary. And we do all kinds of stuff. We do events, small groups, outreach, things like that. So, uh, and Charles... Not only am I a DTS grad, but I'm also a Young Guns grad. Class of 2015, 2016. And I quote, the worst class ever to come through Young Guns. (laughs) Charles didn't say that. Tom did. And yet I'm here. Well, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there is a character named Reepicheep. Now, Reepicheep is this talking mouse guy, but he is known for his fierce loyalty. In fact, all of the mice in Narnia are known for that, just savage loyalty. Uh, One time, Reepicheep in battle had his tail cut off. And so out of loyalty to their leader, all the other mice drew their swords and were about to cut off their own tails. But Aslan, the, the king, the lion guy, he was moved by their love and by their loyalty for their leader. And so he healed Reepicheep's tail. None of the characters in all of Narnia are more loyal than mice, and none of the mice are more loyal than Reepicheep. He was loyal to everyone who was loyal to Aslan, and he would commit his services to everyone who served the same master. And so in the Chronicles of Narnia, Reepicheep becomes kind of this figure of loyalty. He becomes a symbol, almost a type of what it looks like to be loyal to the king. And he kind of instills this idea of what loyalty is and what loyalty brings to the table and the benefit of having somebody like Reepicheep rolling in your crew. Who wouldn't want a friend like Reepicheep? We all want loyalty in our lives. We want friends that are loyal to us because loyal friends guard our reputation. Loyal friends have our best interest at hand, but we don't just want loyal friends. We want loyalty in every arena of life. Take, for example, the workplace. There's no better place to work than when your boss is loyal to his or her employees simply out of loyalty. And a boss finds the greatest employees as those who are loyal to the company and those who are loyal to the cause. When I got married, believe it or not, I had standards. I wanted a woman who would display loyalty to me. When people watch my children, when people watch your children, you have to know something. You have to know that those people are going going to be loyal to their care. You are only going to commit them 
to that person's care only after you know they are going to be loyal. So we've got to have people loyal to our families as well. In ministry, and we are all in ministry, every single one of us in this room, every, every single believer is in ministry. And we've got to have people who are loyal to God. We've got to have people that are loyal to God's mission and who are loyal to God's people, us, his bro- our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to be loyal to one another. And the reason is, is because we know what's at stake. We know the devastation of disloyalty. Disloyalty is what destroys friendships. Disloyalty is what destroys businesses. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys churches. And so we all have this standard of loyalty. We all want this kind of loyalty in every arena of life. And since we desire this kind of loyalty, can we expect to offer God any less loyalty? If we have a standard of loyalty for our friendships, for our families, for our friends, for our businesses, for our church, do you think God has a standard of loyalty for you? What is that standard of loyalty? What does it look like? What does loyalty to Christ look like? Well, today that is what we're going to look at, loyally following Jesus on the lifelong journey of discipleship, because that's what it is. Did you know that? It's a lifelong journey of loyally following Jesus, the greatest calling anyone could have. And so our text this morning is Mark chapter one, and as Charles prefaced for me, this is just a reminder of what we set out on as a church as we began this journey through the gospel of Mark. And so we're looking as by way of reminder, oh yeah, this is what what Christ desires of us. This is what we set out on as a body, as a local body here in Denton, Texas. Through the gospel of Mark as Tom leads us in that. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see four C's, four C words. All right, this will help you get a grip on the text. First, loyally following Jesus is a commencement. It is the beginning of a radically new way of life. Commencement simply means the beginning or start of something. And so we're going to see a commencement. Number two, loyally following Jesus is a calling. Not only did Jesus commence a radical new way of life, but he is calling people into this new way of life. And number three, loyally following Jesus is a commissioning. There is instruction. There is duty to loyally following Jesus. And finally, number four, loyally following Christ has consequences. Things will happen because you are a Christian. Specifically and distinctly because of that. And so things will happen because you loyally follow Jesus and you have to be okay with that. So we have the commencement, we have the call, we have the commissioning, and we have the consequence. So observe how the commencement of Christ kicks off this entirely new way of life. Beginning in verse 1, 
The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You recall in creation, the book of Genesis, in the beginning. I had a Hebrew professor that would always walk into class and he would always begin with Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God, then he created Hebrew. Creation was the start of something altogether new. And the beginning of the gospel is the beginning of something altogether new. And this new thing is headed by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who in verse 15 is proclaiming something, the kingdom of God. And so by Son of God, he is divine, and by kingdom of God, he is regal, he is royal, he is king. So what we have here is the start of an entirely new reign under a new king. It is truly the dawning of an entirely new era, unseen in human history up until this point. And just as every new king rightly has someone come before him and herald this new reign, Jesus has John. And in verse seven, John says, one is coming that is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I am not even worthy enough to untie this brother's shoes. And notice something. What is John doing? John is baptizing people. What does baptism signify? Baptism, every believer is baptized to signify a new way of life. And so baptism is the mark of an entirely new way of life. In verse four, we see that this baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. And in verse five, we are told that these people who were coming and being baptized by John were confessing their sins. So not only do we have people marked by a new way of life, but we have something for the first time in biblical history, forgiveness outside the temple confines. So now we have a new place of forgiveness. And notice something else that John is doing. Rather, notice his location. In verse two, we're told he is in the wilderness. Verse three, he is in the wilderness, and specifically at the Jordan River in verse five. Now, this is likely alluding to something. And if you know your biblical history, your antennas should be tingling right now. This is likely alluding to Israel's exodus journey out of Egypt through the wilderness where they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. Thus, we have a new exodus journey marked by a new people of God. And it is at the Jordan that John is going to herald a new Joshua, a Yehoshua, or for short, Yeshua, which translated into Greek is Iesus, which translated into English is Jesus. And so we have a new leader and a new savior. So in sum, what is commenced is the start of a new age under a new reign by a new king leading a new people on a new journey called discipleship. And these people who are led by this king will begin to constitute the kingdom of God as they loyally follow him. So what has commenced, brothers and sisters? 
It's a radical, a radical new way of life. Something unbefore, something before unseen in all of human history is this radical new way of life. When I began to oversee young adults, I went into Tom's office and I said, Tom, you know, how do you want me to do this? Any special advice? I mean, come on, give me your secrets. What is your advice? And he just kind of looked at me very Tom-like and says, teach him. I said, okay, yeah, I figured that would be, that's part of the job description. Teach him. He says, and shepherd them. They're going to need to be shepherded. Yeah, yeah, that's, I figured that. Anything else? He goes, and then he leaned back very Tom-like. <laughs> but most of all, you challenge them to radically follow Jesus. And that is a challenge for us all, church. That is a challenge for us all. Because when Jesus commenced this radical new way of life, we were called into a radical new lifestyle. And we demonstrate that in every avenue of our life. We demonstrate that in our giving, in our sacrifice, in our living. We are a different and peculiar people. We live in light of Christ's return. That dictates how we live in the present, knowing the future. That things aren't just going to continue one day after another, that all of human history, the trajectory of everything that's going on is being summed up in Christ. That things that are happening are not just one thing happening after another, but that everything is being summed up in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that, and that changes how we live. You, church, have been called to live a radically different life as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can take that as if it was your senior pastor who said it. Now, what follows the commencement is the call. What's interesting is we will see the call, the commission, and the consequence of John, Jesus, and the disciples in that sequence. The text actually presents that, John, Jesus, disciples, call, commission, consequence, like the passing of a torch. That once the baton, uh, once one person steps off the scene, the baton goes to the next person. So we'll see John, Jesus, the disciples, and the implication is us, future disciples. We will take the baton. Okay, we can't lose that. So let's look at the call. And what we're going to see about the call is that this call is actually Trinitarian. It's just an interesting subtopic of uh, theology here. But we're going to see the call. And we're going to see John's call first in verse 2. John's call is in the citation of Old Testament scripture. As it is written, verse 2, in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I, God, send my messenger. Now, Scripture is the living voice of God, specifically breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So in a real sense, John is called by a divine voice, specifically the voice of the Spirit in Scripture. And Jesus is also going to be called by a divine voice. In verse 11, jump down to verse 11, and we'll see that a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. So Jesus' call is a calling by a divine voice, God the Father. John, Jesus, who is next but the disciples? Look at verse 17. 
In verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me. And in verse 20, he called them. They too are called by a divine voice, God the Son. So we have John, Jesus, and the disciples all called by a divine voice. When I first became a believer, it was when I first moved to Denton. I came here to go to UNT. And what you have to understand is basically from the time I was 17 to the time uh, I was 24, I was uh, lived a very rough lifestyle. I, I was lots of addiction, lots of alcohol abuse for years. And I was riding my bike because that's what you do in Denton if you wanna be a hipster. And I'm riding my bike in Denton. Now, I didn't hear a divine voice. And what happened to me then has never happened to me since. But if my heart had ears, it heard, stop and you'll hear from me. And I've told this story all over the place. And so I stop, I hop off my bike and I look over and there's a church right there. I said, ah, I rode on home. Well, that night, I could not sleep. I tossed and turned all night long wrestling. Was that God or was that me? Was that God or was that me? What was going on with that? And finally, I threw off my covers at about four o'clock in the morning and yelled at the person who wasn't in my room, fine, I'll go. Long story short, I didn't go that weekend because I stayed out too late that Saturday before. And you know how whenever you give things enough time, it kind of dampens that fire. So throughout that second week, I, I pretty much resolved not to go and to not really worry about that bike experience. And, but I so happened to providentially wander into a Barnes and Noble. And at the time I was really interested in reading a lot of philosophy. And if you know how bookstores and libraries or bookstores organize, they, uh, they always have the philosophy section butted next to the religion section. And so I picked up a book and long story short, this book, I read half of it in the store and then half of it the next day. And it motivated me to go ahead and go to that church service the next day. So I did, but I made sure to go like five or 10 minutes late because you know, churches have greeters. I didn't wanna be greeted. And, and I, I was, I, I showed up in a Metallica t-shirt, cut off camo shorts and Chuck Taylors. And I, I truly was one of those guys that from the outside, everything screamed, help me, I am in desperate need for help. But if you would have come up and talked to me, I'd, who do you think you are? Get out of my face. And so I wander in and within, uh, they're giving announcements when I, when I come in. And the, the very first thing I heard was, I hope none of you tried to come up here this past Sunday because you would have found the doors locked because we had our service at, a, at our new property where we're building our church. I thought, oh, convenient. Good thing I didn't come because the doors would have been locked. And as I'm sitting there, this old lady, little old lady walks in all cute and, um, sits in a chair in front of me. And the lady to her right says, you can't sit there, that seat's taken. And uh, I'll tell you what I thought. First, when I first heard her, that lady say that to her, I thought, you Christians, you Christians. And so this little old lady gets up and comes out and sits next to me and music starts playing. And she just kind of 
taps me on the shoulder and says, young man, I, I normally wouldn't interrupt you, but I've, and I, don't, I wouldn't normally do this, but I feel like God's telling me that you're not going to have to go over that mountain anymore and that he's going to use you and didn't. I said, okay. <laughs> All right. Crazy lady. <laughs> and about 15 minutes into the service and the worship's still going on, another guy comes up and tells me the exact same thing. He says, young man, I feel like God's telling me that you're not gonna have to go over that mountain anymore, but he's gonna use you at UNT. That was the difference. And then I realized, oh, I see what's going on here. New guy, looks desperate from the outside, comes in, you flank him from the left, we'll flank him from the right. (laughs) He'll have some kind of God encounter, new member. But then a third thing happened to me a third time. A third person came up to me and said the exact same thing the first person said. And I, I don't know how to explain it any other way than God arrested me. <laughs> he arrested me. And I remember just falling to my knees and everything my mom taught me as a child. Every Wednesday service that I was drugged to, every Sunday service I was drugged to, my entire life, every church camp, every Bible study came flooding into my mind and I just remember thinking, it's true. It's all true. Some of you may have children right now and you're thinking, man, where did we go wrong? Adam in church, we prayed together. We were faithful. You just hang in there. God called me that day. (laughs) And God is calling some of you in this room right now as I speak. You feel it in your hearts. You've been resisting. Heed the call of God this morning. Respond to it and be changed forever. You have no greater calling than God's calling on your life. You will find no greater satisfaction than satisfying yourself in God. He's designed it that way. You can spend your whole life looking for satisfaction here and there and just spend decades just shifting from something that satisfies for a little while to something that satisfies for a little while for something that satisfies for a little while until your deathbed. And that whole time, you were searching for your satisfaction in God. You will find your greatest satisfaction in the calling of God on your life. Heed the call of God. Satisfy yourself in him. Now, what follows the call is the commission. What follows the call is the commission. John is commissioned in verses two and three, and he is commissioned to prepare the way of the Lord, to make ready his way, to prepare his path. And so how does he do it? Verse four, he is preaching, preaching repentance. And we're told in verse seven, again, he was preaching. Now the word preach, K. Russo, in its most basic meaning simply is to make something known to make something known. So John was commissioned to preach or to make known the way of the Lord. And Jesus was likewise commissioned. Jump with me over to verse 14. Verse 14, and we see that Jesus is preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. Here it is. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is commissioned to preach the way into the kingdom of God by repentance and belief. One enters in to this kingdom. And guess what? The disciples were commissioned to preach or to make known. Jump with me to verse 17. Let's look what Jesus said to his disciples. He said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now that that verb, I will make, that's one word in Greek. It's poieso, and it's a future tense verb. It's a historical future, which means that from the time, it was future from the time it was said, but there comes a point where it's no longer future. So within the gospel, this is a future, a historical future. It's something that's going to happen within the gospel. And so let's skip ahead to the future. Turn one page over probably to chapter three, And look with me at verse 14 in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. And he, that is Jesus, appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to, what's your word? Preach. John, Jesus, the disciples. Now notice the order of verse 14 there. You don't want to miss this. They would first be with him and that he could send them out. Notice the order. Don't miss this. You must first be with Jesus before you can be sent by Jesus. And to be sent by Jesus is to be with Jesus. Everything is predicated on being with Jesus. You don't make yourself right and then go to Jesus. You go to Jesus and he makes you right. And so the reason, the reason, you can turn back over to chapter one, the reason the disciples can be commissioned to future tense become fishers of men is because Jesus is the subject acting upon the object. Jesus is the subject of the making of the disciples into what they are to become. You don't become what you want to be and then go to Jesus. You go to Jesus and he makes you in to what you are to become. Don't miss that. Right after my conversion, that little story I just shared with you, I, I went home and I, uh, I called my mother, had no one else to call. And I said, mom, something happened to me. And you know, God, God kind of, I don't know what it is with mothers, but he just, he gives them like Jedi powers <laughs> to where they already know what's going on as soon as you call, as soon as they hear your voice. I said, mom, I just kind of, I just had this God moment, this, this encounter, this, I didn't know how to describe it. And she, I was like, but mom, you know how I'm living. And I began to focus on all these bad things that I've been doing. And she just stopped me and she just said, Logan, I, I one time, now keep in mind here, my mom does not drop scripture bombs, all right? She doesn't drop God bombs, but she dropped some bombs on me that day. She said, I one time heard a pastor 
talk about when Jesus said to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. She goes, you know what that pastor said? She says, you got to catch the fish before you clean the fish. You got to be caught first, then to be clean. Otherwise, it's like fishing in the Sea of Galilee and reeling in fillets. Just doesn't work that way. You got to get caught first, then be cleaned. And I made a commitment that day. I opened up my Bible and I said, God, I said, God, if this is your word, I'm going to read and pray every single day. And I opened it up to John or James 4, 8, my life verse, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It's my life verse. That's what it means to be with Jesus. And every single one of us in here, church, don't miss this. Every single one of us has been commissioned to be with Jesus. That is your commissioning, to be with Jesus. And it happens predominantly in three ways. Prayer, we have direct access to God because we've been united to Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And so we pray and we are with Christ when we do that. Number two, if you wanna be with the incarnated word, you must spend time in the written word. And number three, the body of Christ. Now Christ is our head. And last time I checked, I haven't seen too many heads just floating around out there. Where the head is, the body is. If you wanna be with the head, you gotta be with the body. Under most circumstances, to be with Christ is to be with his hands and feet also. So we must be with the body. We must be in his word. We must be people of prayer. That's what it means to be with Jesus. And you commit your life to doing that. You watch what God does. Well, that's the call. That's the commission. And now the consequence What are the consequences for those who loyally respond to the call? What are the consequences of those who loyally respond to the commission to follow Jesus? Well, look with me in verse 14. We are told John had been taken into custody. Now, that is a truly, that is truly a watered down way of putting it. That verb taken is the verb paradidomi. And I've been waiting my whole seminary experience just to say that in front of a large crowd, paradidomi. (laughs) And paradidomi has a settled semantic range in the gospel of Mark. And what that means is that Mark has uniquely selected this word to have a consistent meaning throughout his entire gospel. It's like a red light going off. And it always has a powerful negative connotation of being handed over or betrayed. And so we see that the consequences for John's loyalty is that he is handed over to the powers that be. And it's a royal death. His head is on a platter in chapter six. Now let's just step back for a minute and notice something because if it goes John, Jesus, notice something here. 
In verse 14, look when Jesus starts his commissioning in verse 14. It is after John had been taken into custody. In other words, John is taken and the baton goes to who? Jesus. And Mark will depict Jesus as being handed over in the exact same way as John. Now you can just listen or you can jump around with me, but I'm gonna read some verses to you uh, beginning in chapter three, verse 19. Chapter three, verse 19 reads, and Judas Iscariot, who paradidomi, betrayed him. Chapter nine, verse 31. For he, Jesus, was teaching his disciples and telling them the son of man is to be paradidomi, handed over into the hands of men and they will, what's your word? Kill him. Chapter 10, verse 33. Behold, we are going to Jerusalem. Who is the we? The disciples. We are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be paradidomi, handed over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will, there we have it again, paradidomi, hand him over to the Gentiles. Come back over to chapter one. So we see that the fate of John and the fate of Jesus are the same. Death. They loyally responded to the call. They loyally responded to the commission. And the consequences for their loyalty is death. John, Jesus, disciples. Who but the disciples will get the baton after Jesus, what will their consequences be? We saw what happened to John. <laughs> we saw what happened to Jesus. If they loyally respond to the call and loyally respond to the commission, what is going to happen to them? Do you know what is never mentioned in the entire gospel of Mark? Never mentioned are the consequences for the disciples loyally following Jesus. The gospel just kind of leaves us hanging as what's going to happen to them? They loyally responded to the call. They loyally responded to the commission. What's gonna happen? Will there be consequences to following Jesus? and we're just left kind of hanging. And that church, loyal followers of Jesus Christ, <laughs> is for a reason. And the reason is, it, be, it puts the disciples, it puts you and I, future disciples, in the exact same shoes as them. Will they loyally follow Jesus if what happened to John might happen to them? Will they be loyal to take the baton from Jesus if what happened to Jesus 
might happen to them. Better question. Will you loyally follow Jesus, knowing what happened to them might happen to you? Will you loyally follow Jesus on the lifelong journey of discipleship? Knowing what the potential consequences could be, will you take the baton and train up others to take the baton and train up others to take the baton? Knowing what could happen. I uh, recently learned about a tribe in India and this tribe had uh, received the gospel and out of conviction, they were planning to go out and share the gospel with neighboring tribes. But you know what they did before they left? They all went out and found a piece of ground and they began to dig. You know why they were digging? They were digging their own graves as a symbol and as a potential reality that nothing, not even my very life is gonna stand in the way to my loyalty to Christ. Now we will likely never face those, that, the potential of death for loyally following Jesus. But I assure you there are things just as deadly to disloyalty. Is there anything, is there anyone that you are more loyal to than Christ? Are you more loyal to your job? Are you more loyal to career advancement? Are you more loyal to your reputation and how people perceive you? Are you more loyal to comfort? Are you more loyal to perpetual self-preservation? Or do you simply lack commitment? Now, our loyalty to Christ should drive our loyalty for all those other things. Because being loyal to our families and our jobs, that is a wonderful thing. But being loyal to Christ is numero uno. And it fuels and drives our loyalty to everything else. Well, God is good, amen? amen? And he has not left us without marvelous encouragement. And so I want to I give you two things here that in, will encourage you to be loyal to Christ. Because God has designed a, a built-in system that will empower us to be loyal. He hasn't left us hanging, okay? And so... Keep in mind that just as John in the womb and just as Jesus at the Jordan, we too have been promised the Holy Spirit. In verse eight, we are told that he, Jesus, will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Now this happened at our conversion. We are indwelt by the very Spirit of God who enables us, who empowers us, who produces the attributes and characteristics of Christ in us, who was the loyal one, the ultimate loyal one. 
And so we yield our lives to God's spirit who empowers us to be loyal to Christ. We need God's means of enablement and he has provided everything we need. And just as John was in the wilderness and just as Jesus was in the wilderness and just as the disciples in chapter six were in a deserted place, which so happens to be the exact same word for wilderness, we too will eventually find ourselves in the wilderness of life. Where Jesus goes, we go too. And we will find ourselves there. And so we pray, God, help me to be loyal to you. Help me to be loyal to you. So the second encouragement is that there's a real kingdom coming that Christ, we've seen, commenced this kingdom and that we begin to constitute that kingdom. We don't establish the kingdom, but we do manifest its precepts. We do manifest kingdom principles and we do manifest to the world around us the priorities of the kingdom of God. But one day Christ, our great king and God, will come and establish his glorious kingdom. It is a real kingdom. And he is coming to make all things new. Keep in mind, church, there is a real kingdom coming. And so for the present time, we trust God's divine enablement to be loyal. Just pray, God, help me to be loyal no matter what. And for the future, we look toward the return of the king and to his glorious kingdom where he will establish us, his citizenry, forever. Amen? I have a, on my keychain this little cross, and I think we have a picture of it. And there's nothing special about it. It's just a little piece of wood. It's probably made in China. Um, and I, a number of people in the church have these, and I'll, I think mine's the only one that's not broke. Um, and I have on the horizontal beam, it says loyal. And I, I view that as, Lord, help me to be loyal in my horizontal life, in my left and my right, my brothers and my sisters in this world. Help me be, to be loyal. And on the vertical beam, it says royal, Christ. And so I pray, God, help me to be loyal to the royal. That is my prayer. God, help me to be loyal to the royal. And I cannot tell you how many times God has answered that prayer. Because every time I pull out my keys to unlock something or to, I see this cross, I'm like, oh yeah, God, help me to be loyal to the royal, no matter what, help me. I can't do it on my own. I know what happens when I'm left alone. I know me. <laughs> help me to be loyal to the royal. As an example, one time I was, I was ride, I ride the train down to Dallas and I was standing on the dock and I'm, I'm, I have my Bible opened up and I'm, I'm just reading my Bible and this, this lady walks by and she, she walks by and she looks at the Bible, looks at me and then just sneers at me and gives me this really ugly look. And she did this three or four times. And just as I was about to exercise my gift in good old fashioned Christian cursing, May the God of Almighty God 
cause the plagues of Egypt to rest upon you. May it come to pass as it did with Jezebel and Athaliah. I grabbed my keys to walk off and I saw the cross and I said, oh yeah, people are not going to like me simply because of my, dis- uh, be- simply because of my loyalty to Christ. They're just not gonna like me because of that. You cannot like me for a lot of things, but my prayer is that it's only because of my loyalty to Christ. Lord, help, me not, help people not to like me because I'm rude, insensitive, uncaring, proud. Those are reasons to not like me. But if people don't like me, let it be because of my loyalty to Jesus. And that can only be by God's help. Uh, a person pulled out in front of me the other day and I was driving down Carroll, leaving church. So this is a message for you because we're all gonna leave here someday, a couple hours from now, right? Um, and this lady pulls out right in front of me and she just stops coming off a boulevard. And I just like stop on the middle of Carroll. I'm sorry, university. And she's just looking at me and I'm looking at her. And I say, and she goes, she wants me to go. And, I'm, and cars are zooming past me and I say, And eventually she backs up. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, bad things. And I remember I get out of the car, I get home and I pull out my keys. Oh yeah, I need to be loyal to Christ even in my thoughts. Most recently I was at Kroger. Now, I don't know what I did or if I did anything, but for some reason I was the recipient of a very rude clerk and it was well known she was making it very obvious to me that I was doing something wrong or she just had a really bad day and took it out on me and I'm walking out I'm carrying my groceries and I'm walking out I'm actually talking through the parking lot all the things that I was going to say to her if she was in front of me I'm like oh yeah and I'm like talking through this and I I put my key or my bags in the bed of my truck and I go to unlock my truck and I see the cross I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta be loyal to Christ even with my words. And so church, I wanna challenge you this morning. I think there's something so powerful when we as a local assembly here in Denton, Texas, all do the same application. And so I wanna challenge every single one of you this week to pray every single day this very simple prayer. God, help me to be loyal to the royal no matter what. God, help me to be loyal to the royal, no matter what. And as another shameless plug, if you want one of these little crosses, there just so happens to be one right at the young adults booth on your way out. The way the gospel ends is with the resurrected Jesus telling the women who were loyal to tell the disciples who were disloyal to meet him back at Galilee. Where did Jesus first call and commission his disciples? It was in Galilee. Were they loyal to that call and commission? No, they were not. And so the resurrected Lord now tells them to meet him back at Galilee where it all began for discipleship 2.0. 
And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe today is just a day where you just need a reminder, oh yeah, I just needed to be affirmed, built up, edified, that hey, God, you provide everything I need to be loyal. So let's just pray, God, help me to be loyal to the royal. And some of us here this morning need to commit our lives to the king and submit to the king and become loyal to the royal. Let's all pray this week. God, help me to be loyal to the royal no matter what. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Lord and our master and our friend, our savior, our great king, Jesus, in whom there is life, in whom there is redemption, in whom there is calling and a commission. But yes, there is even consequence. But we thank you that you have provided all of the means for joy in the Lord. That in the midst of whatever, because of you, we can rest in the eye of the hurricane. And so I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be loyal to the royal, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.